0: Uncommon is a production by Neural, a full-service digital agency. If you want to grow with a premium agency and have the ability to work with Jordan directly, then learn more at neral.com slash media and request a callback. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E dot slash media. My name's Jordan Michaelides and I'm the host of Uncommon a show that asks the why on business, media, current affairs, and sport. Uncommon Corona Editions sees us catching up with prior guests to document how they're adapting during this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. If you like the episode, do leave a written review on your podcast app as it does help us continue what we're doing. Don't forget that there's plenty of past episodes to keep you entertained at home show notes are below Uh, you can also find all previous guests at naral.com slash uncommon that's n-a-u-r-a-l-l-e.com slash uncommon for the full video just search uncommon show on youtube and for social to keep up to date with behind the scenes search at uncommon underscore show with that being said let's get into the episode My guest this week is Hayden Dibb, filmmaker, photographer, director, and creator of The North Side. Habibi, welcome.
1: Habib, what's going (laughs) on?
0: (laughs) Um, I I was looking at uh, icebreakers and like so many in the last few weeks has been around Corona, but I'm Mm going to ask you, when are you going to get a tattoo of Uncommon or My Face on your arm?
1: Uh, Okay, well... (laughs) this all comes down to if you're paying for it or not.
0: <laughs> so they did pay for it.
1: That, well, no one paid for it. I got it for free. Okay. We basically got the tattoo studio to sponsor it. And, yeah. and like, it's so funny because I was speaking to Tommy the other day and I was like, I have, I, I'm the only person who showers with the daily talk show logo. <laughs> <laughs> like no one else, can, no one else has that on me.
0: No one else can say that. Well, no. How many other tattoos have you got?
1: 14 all up.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I've got some I've got some pretty weird. I've got some pretty stupid ones, I'm not going to lie.
0: What's what's the most stupid one and what's the most logical one that you have?
1: Oh, God. So you'll love this. The stupidest one is also kind of the most logical one. So <laughs> being Lebanese, I never wanted to get like any Arabic writing or anything like that. So I got my favourite thing that's related to my heritage, and that's hummus. Okay, I have the word hummus written on my
0: on my arm,
1: like right there. (laughs) (laughs) And basically, how that came about was when I was living in London. I had um, I was really good friends with a tattoo artist, and like a couple of mates back home. They're like, "Oh, we miss you." One of them's a graphic designer, and he was like, "I want to design you a tattoo." And it started off with, like, really, like, intricate stuff and all this other stuff. And I was like, bro, it's too much. I was like, Mm. just write something with a Sharpie and send it to me. Yeah. And he's like, what do you want me to write? I was like, I don't know, like, hummus. Hummus. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. He literally, like, wrote – I've still got the photo of the Sharpie, like, all of the different Sharpie versions he did. And he basically just wrote hummus, took a photo, sent Mm. it to me. And that same day, I got it tattooed. So –
0: I like it. I mean, we've all got these little things that we sort of pull back from um, our identity, so to speak. Yeah. Like I was just thinking um, if I'd got a tattoo, what would I have gotten? But I, I'm, I remember there was like an age when I was like 15, 16, and you'd look to sort of identify. Yourself. I remember I used to wear like Greek armbands.
1: Oh, gee, I knew so many kids because I grew up around like all my friends are Greek, like every yeah. single one of them, like my whole street. Like it was either Aussies or Greeks. So yeah. I grew up, I grew up with so many Greek kids. I like, at one point, my dad like dropped me off at Greek school once. Really? Yeah. He was just like, he's like, I was like, he's like, Oh, I got just nothing see what it's like. to do. And I was like hanging out with my mates <laughs> and like, they were all speaking Greek. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here.
0: <laughs> Greek school was really well run. Like I, I went to Greek school for a month and I absolutely hated it. my parents didn't really care and I yeah. never really pursued it. Yeah. Um, I also came from, I mean, the reason why I talk about this stuff is because like, I was really confused as a kid because I had like an Aussie mum, a Greek dad, and I didn't look like any of my Greek friends. <laughs> and, uh, and like, I, I had to like reinforce the fact that I was, this is why we like talk, you can be shit about this stuff in zoom. Maybe it's like, uh, it's there underlying in my head, like telling people that I'm Greek. I try not to do it too much.
1: Well, um, I think, I think it's like as, an, as Australians, we almost have an identity crisis. Like yeah. and have had for ages because you speak to anyone who's like third generation, Greek, third generation, Lebanese, like Italian, like we're not Australians We're we're Lebanese, we're Greek, we're Italian, we're, we're everything that our parents were when they growing, when they were growing up. So it's was like, When people asked me what I was as a kid, I was half Lebanese, half Italian. That actually turned out to be very wrong. Um, I'm not actually Italian. Really? Yeah. So I did like six, seven years of Italian and then my mum speaks Italian to my grandma. But my grandma is not Italian because both my mum's parents are from Egypt and they were in Cairo, which a lot of Italian and Greeks who came to Australia, um, that's that's where they grew up and they were born. But they speak like Greek, Italian, uh, Maltese, and stuff like that. So I'm actually like Maltese, Egyptian, Lebanese. So it's Mm. like it's a weird mix. But yeah, like I was always identifying as um, as Italian Lebanese. I was never I'm never Australian.
0: So you must be a big Shane Delia fan. He's got a similar mix.
1: He's um there's a bit of controversy like a lot mm. of my family does not like him. <laughs> I I re- I really do because I I've been to Maha and Maha's in insane. Like it's such a yeah. insane dining experience. Um and the food's fucking you can't deny, like also like uh Biggie Smalls, kebabs. Mm. Um he's just doing some really cool stuff. But a lot of my family on my dad's side, the Lebanese side, are like, Oh, he's bastardizing Lebanese food <laughs> and stuff like that and I was like, Well, not really. He's just <laughs> He's doing Mediterranean food, is he? There's yeah. This like, over, there's this like overarching theme and, and he pulls that a lot because he's Maltese and his wife is Egyptian, I think. So he pulls yeah. that a
0: lot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, his wife is, um, God, Ma- is Maho she- is her name. Either that or she is Lebanese.
1: She's Lebanese or she's, um, isn't she Moroccan?
0: Yeah, I think maybe you're right there. I, yeah. I should know because I interviewed him. I should go back and uh, <laughs> listen to the clip, listen to the clip yeah. from the episode. Fact check this. Yeah. It's so funny. Like we, we've debated so many times um, on the daily talk show groups, Friday night drinks around who created hummus. Do you find it <laughs> fascinating that like so much of that, uh, let's say like that, uh, that crescent from Turkey all the way around to like Alexandria yeah, Egypt is so similar.
1: It it really is and it's like, you know, I think we joke a lot about like obviously who made the falafel and who mm. made hummus but I think it's like it's so funny because like I think it's you know, in the times that we're living in right now like I've seen something that food is very political. It, it's like it becomes this like it becomes part of the identity that you, you identify with. So
0: mm.
1: like this whole thing about hummus and falafel and especially in those regions, we tend to like like take it as ours and it's like this nationalism that we like hold on to. Um, <laughs> like I have so many Jewish friends who like we will constantly get into arguments about who, who like who's the, who owns the falafel or who owns hummus and it's just yeah. like, right, I don't think we're ever going to agree on anything. <laughs> yeah, but, so,
0: but the one thing you can agree on is that it tastes good. Oh,
1: it tastes fucking! It tastes great, and it's and both sides have their own ways of doing it, and both sides are, are just as good, just good th- as each other.
0: I think that's why I always loved Bourdain. I saw like a poster of him recently that me and my mate want to get done up. But he he was like the guy that was able to really go and look at food and just realize that most people just like to uh, to get along and to eat some nice food. That was which I he was like.
1: he was a dude that really he he kind of unraveled why he he basically led all of these, like all this conflict back to like, let's just sit over a meal and talk about it and really understand what food does for us. And that's become such a big part of my life and how food is, has played such a massive role in pretty much everything that I do. And Bourdain is just like, rest in peace, Bourdain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was such He's a, a he was a God. He just, he genuinely, he had, the most interesting conversations with the most interesting people in the world and, and ate some of the best food on the planet. Mm. And what's, what's better than that?
0: Nothing's better than that. I, I do. I do miss him a lot. I've be intrigued to see what he has to say today. Um, it's a weird time we live in, but um, mm. I'm thinking, you know, you as a kid, what, um, what sort of the lesson that, is there a lesson that stands out for you from either of your parents? Like saying they may have said directly or indirectly that you're still, used to this day? I think
1: it, the way I was brought up was it, it's quite like, it's quite strange because obviously my dad growing up, my dad growing up had come from Lebanon. I think when he was like 11 years old um, and he was brought up in a very strict Muslim household. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously when he married my, my mom, um there was, my mum's obviously not Muslim. So there was this, there was no real reason to, I to lean one way or the other. Like they tried to keep me as respectful as possible to the Muslim, uh, to Islamic faith, and and all of that. Um, but it was my parents have always been, we're going to give you the tools to be a really good person, and and when you turn 18, that's that's up to you. You yeah. you you do what you feel is right, and I think that mentality and that kind of lesson has kind of you know really served me well over the you know growing up in my teenage years and stuff because. It was never, there was never any like, it was always an inclusive environment. My family's made for me, um, mm. my, fa- my parents made for me and my brother and my sister. So we've all, always been brought up to just be like, respect everyone, no matter what they believe and, and, and who they are. It's just, it's just kind of like ingrained in us as uh, from, from being kids. So, do yeah.
0: you get, do you get along well with your siblings? Yeah. So um, i got
1: a younger brother. He's 22, he's turning 22 this month. Wow. Um and then I got a younger sister who's sixteen, so there's a bit okay. of an age gap between me me and my brother and my sister. Uh, but yeah, I get along with them really well. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, my brother, I don't live with my 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 brother as much anymore. Um, but yeah, we we get along pretty well. He's he's kind of moving more into the scene that I'm in. He's like doing music and stuff. Right. So so we just we kind of work on stuff together. He raps and writes music and then i shoot his music videos and take his (laughs) photos for him so it's like more than ever it's like a working relationship now
0: (laughs) i i I was intrigued like um you know you you speak about shooting music videos and whatnot and that's where we can get into uh like i said brand hayden dib yeah uh, i i was just looking back at I uh, found your LinkedIn profile. Always good to... Oh, uh, no.
1: I saw you. I saw you go <laughs> yeah, you saw me looking at it.
0: <laughs> it's always good to see what you can find with someone on the um, internet. So I know you started at Coburg High. You went to RMIT. Yeah. You did um, uh, Screen and Media. Mm-hmm. There, I don't know what you did in between, but you obviously had some jobs. Obviously, LinkedIn, people don't put up every single fucking job they have. But yeah, the ones of note were Haystack, kentucky in London... Mm-hmm. Now compre- completely freelance. I guess yeah. um for you, what was sort of the earliest memory that you have getting into film or, or wanting to get into film?
1: Um, it's funny, it's actually been brought up a couple of times in the past like month, is the way I think it, it all started from just like me watching uh like Star Wars and Star Wars was a big one for me. Okay. And I had like the Star Wars trilogy and the little black box with Darth Vader on the front. And there was always on the DVD. There's always the bonus, the extras and the behind the scenes. And like, I always found that so much more interesting than, than the actual films.
0: Like really?
1: seeing how they made, like, especially like the one thing that sticks to me today and blew my mind was the sound of the lightsaber. And like yeah. in, in A New Hope, the sound of a lightsaber is, it's the mix between a vacuum cleaner and a highway in Los Angeles. It's like, just like, it's like, that is mind boggling that like things that like exist in our reality merge together can become something completely different in a new reality. It is like, that just absolutely baffled me. So my love for film started in the like visual effects and, and, and the, the behind the scenes of just like sci-fi films.
0: Do you, did you find that as a kid, you were always really intrigued by stories?
1: Yeah, I was always the kid who was like always creating shit. I was a bit of a weird, weird unit. Um, <laughs> I like was always making stuff and, and always wanting to like play like make believe and shit like that. And, like all like the friends that I grew up with on my street, you would just see us in our front yard. just like almost like acting out like films yeah. and stuff. So there was always this element of like wanting to tell a story. Um, and I was, it also came for me like, as a younger kid, I like always wanted to hang around with older people because I found the shit that they were talking about so interesting yeah it's like I just like I was like whatever you 're talking about i that 's so much more interesting than what the eleven year old i 'm hanging out is <laughs> talking about yeah. you 've got more experience <laughs> yeah. I want to be involved in that conversation so yeah it was but, yeah.
0: very it was very similar for myself. I always used to sit at like I, my favorite thing still to this day is sitting at a family table with like twelve people. Yeah and seeing the different conversations and the best moment is when everyone goes hush and one person is talking. Yeah. That's a very that's a I feel like um in our in that Mediterranean part of the world that is um a big thing and for me it was like seeing my grandpa tell stories. I remember he used to tell me a lot of like mythology stories. Yeah. And I used to be blown away by it. Like it's all utter bullshit. But the the point (laughs) is that like it's it's fast it was fascinating as hell when you're a kid.
1: I think it it, it is because like those are stories that have been like either passed down or, or things that you've just like, you know, someone who's lived like, you know, 70, 80 years, like they've seen some shit. So it's like, you know, whether it's like not worth listening to or not, you still get so much out of it regardless Mm -hmm. of the, of the content. It's just like, whatever you're saying, there's something behind it. There's like, there's years behind whatever you're saying.
0: So when you, you've studied and, and obviously you were saying before that um, Star Wars was the thing that really pushed you, how? Because mm. like, I, I know that when I went to uni, at least the first year, I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Mm. And I still did my three-year degree. I worked in finance for maybe mm. eight or nine years. And I'm now still segueing into sort of between finance and media. And I know mm. that that sort of is the direction that I want to go. But you seem to have found it quite early. So I, yeah. I guess um, what was sort of the catalyst that pushed you? Like, did you know at the end of year 12, this is what I'm going to do?
1: Well, I knew before the end of year 12 and that actually like kind of fucked me up for a little mm. bit because I basically had my mind set on studying film in New York. Like I was like, like uh, I'm sure if you talk to my mom, she was like, uh, Hayden was like dead set on like moving to New York, I was like constantly on calls with a friend of mine who was living in LA at the time. And Mm. he just moved over to study film. And I was like, Oh, how much money do I need? Like all like, I was like working it all out. I was probably like, I was probably like, I was 16 at the time. And I'm like working out how I'm going to move to fucking New York. And I was like, and that like got my head such in a zone that I actually ended up, I dropped out of year 12. So I didn't finish, I didn't finish high school. Um, cause I'd moved high schools as well. I went to Brunswick secondary and then I went to Coburg and yeah, there's a whole thing about how the learning there kind of impacted the way that I kind of viewed education as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it kind of fucked me up. So I didn't, I didn't end up finishing high school. I dropped out like three months before exams. Um, and I kind of just like sat around while all my mates were stressing and like trying to finish their exams. And And then I only got into uni because I was like everyone around me was kind of like, you've got to do something like, like you just need a bit of a boost, like a kickstart and I ended up going at the time I was still making stuff. I was like shooting little documentaries and like just shooting whatever I could.
0: Can can you remember something that you shot back then?
1: Yeah. So one of the first things, <laughs> one of the first things I shot, I'll i will send it to you, but you're not allowed okay. to send it to anyone else. Um, Show it, was guys. Like, it, <laughs> it was a video. I'm sure people have seen it. Like it's, it's, you can find it if you really want to online, but okay. it's like, you know, like I used to be really into visual effects and I did this thing with my brother when we like, I like sh- tried to shoot an apple off his head with like a prop gun and I ended up like killing my brother. <laughs> and it's so bad and so fucking cringe but like I look back like a lot of people look back on those those things that they did in their early days and they're like oh that sucked I was like it didn't for me that that shit doesn't suck for me because it's like I was truly fucking passionate and I'm not jaded by the world as I am now and and like all the clients I deal with and and all the work that I do like I was truly inspired to do stuff and I just did it like I didn't Mm. there was no like I wasn't worried what other people thought and I was just like, oh, I want to make this and I fucking go and make it. So
0: Yeah. It's, it's good that you had that. Uh, all I knew at that age, I remember actually I've still got it to this day, this like uh, not a diary entry, but I just wrote on like a piece of paper, how frustrated as fuck I was that you couldn't do like a, a degree in like generalized things. Like I wanted to <laughs> like an a arts degree. Yeah, but it's sort of not <laughs> as well because, like, I couldn't. You know, I wanted to. I wanted to learn how to write. I wanted to learn trading and finance. Yeah, accounting. I wanted to learn computer. Like, I just wanted to learn everything. And I just uh, you couldn't actually do that with an arts degree because you had to choose some sort of um, like, major in some sort of arts yeah. area, like yeah. geography or fucking uh, feminist studies, which I'm just not just, it's, it's not me at all. I need to do something that is, is more, I even remember thinking like my degree that I did in commerce was just way too specific and they don't allow for a lo- enough expansion into other areas. Yeah. Um, so it's good that you had that as a kid
1: because mm-hmm. it's
0: really funny reading that diary of like 17 year old Jordan or 17 or 18 year old Jordan. Um, yeah. It's interesting, though, you you of the thing with your brother with the VFX and the gun and all that. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned before about the lightsaber. Like, how come you never, like, why get into the, ro- the area of sort of like, um, I guess you call it cinematography based video as opposed to something like mm. VFX?
1: Well, I think the more I started to dive into VFX, the more that I realized that, i almost don't have the patience for it. <laughs> like yeah. it requires like such like long hours and it's and, a lot like, of work and it's a lot and it becomes very technical. Like it's very, it's a very technical art form, like knowing how to use after effects and, and cinema 4D, like all of these things. I think it just, I, I think I hit a wall with that and I, I no longer felt that like it was creative enough for me. Like it, it just, there wasn't, enough creativity in the process of doing visual effects that really interested me. Mm -hmm. So that's when I kind of turned my, my kind of, my attention to more the cinematography side and be stepping behind the camera. And, and the idea of like controlling an image was Mm -hmm. something that really interested me and like making stuff look really cool. Um, So I don't know. It's just, yeah, it was just more like the technical side of things. And I'm not a very technical person when it comes to that. And I also just, Got to the point where I was like, oh, there's so many other people who are, like, really fucking good at this stuff. And mm. I'm like, you know, from a very early age, I was like, oh, you know, if I'm not that good but I know someone else who's really good, I'm better off letting them do it than me fucking stress and try a hundred different things, mm. to get to the same result in, you know, half the amount of time.
0: So- do, you, do you remember a, a particular movie or something that sort of, made you realize that the cinematography was where it's at. Cause I'm, I'm sort of thinking, I remember I was in Paris in like 2012. I just finished mm. uni. I was still really unsure about what to do. And we saw uh, the dark Knight. I remember thinking and seeing oh, yeah. that and the way that it was shot and uh, the way that the story was told, I was just like, I couldn't get over it. Like I was in Paris, but I just did not give a fuck that I was in Paris. I was just mm. blown away by this story. Why? Um, I-
1: yeah, that film, like, The Dark Knight Rises, like, that series is just stunning. Like, it's, it's fucking gorgeous. Um, I think the first film that really got me, like, into cinematography, it's a weird one because it's not one that most people would expect. It was um, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with Ben Stiller. Oh,
0: yeah. That's a fucking and, underrated film.
1: Dude, so good. And it's just visually stunning. And Like, obviously, it's hard to make Iceland look shit. Like, it's, like, yeah. Iceland's a beautiful country. But, like, I remember that was that was my year 12 film that I was like studying. And, and I just remember looking at it, watching it and having to like write shit about it. And I was like, I almost can't explain why I love this so much, but it, this is what I want to do. Like I want to make shit look this good. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, it was just, that was probably the first film that really got me visually. And also like something like Blade Runner as well. And, and just these films that like just took it to the next level it was just fucking amazed
0: me. That so. that scene on um, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty when he's like longboarding board, long down oh. the hill, and they played—I can't remember what the song was—but there's a song that they play that sort of defined, I know which, I know which that one. sort of ear, those next three years in terms of song, music, or like video clip music and stuff like that. Well,
1: it was—it it was like almost like a music video placed in the middle of the film. It was. It was.
0: It was actually, crazy. It actually was. Yeah. So I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Um, Iceland scene. Yeah, it's a great fucking movie. Yeah, I, I remember having like a few along the way. Like 500 Days of Summer to me was fascinating. Mm. I feel like that came out when I was like 18 or 19. Um, I still haven't seen it. It's really? sitting,
1: in my, sitting in my watch list. A few other people have been like, you need to watch it. And I was like, yes, I know. I'm, I'm really bad with that. Like I have so many films I haven't seen. Like, my brother hounds me on a, on a weekly basis to watch Scarface. I've never seen it.
0: Yeah, it's a it's an okay film. So that's reckon, the thing. I'm
1: like, I get like these mixed things. And I'm like, oh, do you know what? Like, someone just need I need to get told it's shit so much that I'm like, you know what? I need to go actually watch it.
0: <laughs> that sort of thing. I feel like IMDb top one hundred is really good for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was a Friday night drinks at the Daily Talk Show, and we were Tommy and I were literally running through the top fifty, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure Secret Life of Walter Mitty is like in there in the top one hundred.
1: I mean, like, it should be. It's such a beautiful and, like, such a cool story. It was just, yeah, I just loved
0: it. So, brand Hayden Dib. Uh, You've obviously got multiple ways of making money in the space as a freelancer now. You're doing many different Mm. things. I think the clear thing for me is probably, well, it's very hard because of coronavirus. But to me, before coronavirus, it was food and travel. So mm. that, and they've immediately been impacted and probably <laughs> probably probably music as well right Yeah food yeah. travel music but now mm. um obviously music's slowly coming back I saw you were doing some um doing a shoot with Baked recently Yeah um in your mind what is the brand of Hayden Dib? It's
1: food man food yeah like food is like and I, it's, it's so funny. Cause like, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about Corona too much. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's been, it's been overplayed, um, yeah. but like literally before all of this kind of shit hit the fan, I was going into pre-production for a food show. Like we were making a full TV series with a good friend of mine and wow. I was going to be hosting and directing it. And it was going to be looking like an in-depth look into the Melbourne hospitality industry and and more of a like a more of a holistic view on everything and how sustainability is becoming such a bigger part of of the of the of the hospitality industry and how how things are changing and yeah like kind of just shit hit the fan and like it did something to the hospitality industry I think no one really expected mm. um, they were hit so hard and I have so many friends in the industry so it was so and I'm still so close with all of them and I'm I'm like. I'm always keeping tabs with them. I'm I'm always at their like at their places. And we're always having those discussions about like what it's like to actually be reliant on the hospitality industry as a family, as an individual. So it's such an interesting space to be in. And it was like slowly, slowly becoming like more and more of what I wanted to kind of look into. Um, Mm -hmm. 'Cause because before I ever wanted to be a filmmaker or like or a director, I wanted to be a chef. Like that was really that was something that and I still today, like I, I tell people all the time that if you like don't see me for five years and you come back and I'm and I'm like working in a kitchen, don't be surprised. Because <laughs> like there was there was a moment when I was I remember it was like a month before I came back from London, I was on the phone with my mum and like work had just kind of knackered me out. Like I did not want to do video anymore. Like I was like, really? I'm fucking done. <laughs> like it just, the, the, the job had like tired me out and physically and mentally just drained me. And I was like, I need to do something different. I'm, I'm not saying I don't want to ever do video again, but I just need to take a break from it to really know that that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And it was in that moment that I realized I can do both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the, at the detriment to like, you know, physical and mental health, I can do both. Um, and literally, it's what I did when I got back. I, I pushed all of my focus to shooting food photography um, and making pretty much everything I did revolve around the other thing that I love. So um, I ended up working in a friend of a friend's kitchen before COVID, and and like cooking in a tiny little kitchen. It was just me in the kitchen, and it kind of threw me into the deep end. It was like it was so much fun, and um, but it made me realise that yeah, like if I wanted to do both, I could. I just needed to pick the parts of each industry that mm. interested me, and also try and meld them together. So
0: yeah, what what do you think are your favourite media brands in this space? Like I can rattle off a few. They immediately come to mind that sort of amalgamate what you're doing, but I'm sure there'd be some that you really, what, really like.
1: Can, what would you name? To- um,
0: t- Attaché is sort of lesser known um, mm. probably because they, they're more in the travel space, but they're, mm. they're, they intertwine it always with food. Mm. Um so the majority of the travel is about food, but, you know, they'll land in a place and say, okay, this is where you go for the metro. This is if you want taxi, Uber, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. And the guys, is American guy who lives in London and they mm. film uh, everywhere in the world. And the way it's shot is just really, really nice and it's gotten better over time. He reminds me you can... a lot of Bourdain.
1: There's, a, there's some guys, that I think they're called Top Jaw on on YouTube.
0: Uh-huh. There's
1: two British dudes who do like a really fun travel show and they go eat stuff and and stuff. I, like I don't watch them too often, but when I do, their their stuff is pretty cool, and I just like it sticks out to me. Yeah, um, but they okay, go Go for it.
0: Well, the the ones I was actually just going to look at my um my YouTube subscription list, but the obvious ones are I like bon appet- uh, yeah Bon Appetit, bon Appetit. Um, Epicurus is good. I yeah. really like Bon Appetit when uh, not when they get the celebrities in there, but when they Get the lady who's got like a a great oh, dice street, yeah, Claire. and she always uh, re redoes like a sweet or something.
1: Gourmet makes, yeah. gourmet mates. That's it. Yeah. Um, and that's, then that's that's my show, man. <laughs> that's my
0: vibe. I, I like um bibbing with Babish is good. Love bibbing
1: um, with Babish. Uh, who else is there's um uh, pro home cooks Mike, yeah, uh, Mike G. He's really great. Um, uh, Sorted food is like pretty much my entire. Sp- like subscription box on YouTube is just food. It's literally <laughs> just food stuff. There's Matty Matheson. Yeah. Uh, he's got this new show out called Just a Dash and Eating Out America. And what's um, like,
0: what's Vice's uh, food brand? Uh, oh, Munchies. Munchies, that's it. Yeah. I, I did used to like Munchies quite a lot.
1: Munchies is good because um, they've obviously got Action Bronson and they do a lot yeah. of stuff with Matty Matheson. And, and, but yeah, I, I think Bon Appetit's been a really key one for me over the past, like, probably year because of guys like brad leone and and claire and and they've Mm. just got such good uh they've got such good personalities that it really comes through and 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 that comes through in the food that they're sharing so yeah do you think
0: like for you personally do you prefer something like bon appetit where it's sort of like a a big big media brand or do you prefer the idea of being a creator and independent
1: I, I like both. It all, it all just depends because there's a couple like one thing I think Melbourne lacks is a, is a food media company that really stands for the hospitality industry and food because like I hate broadsheet.
0: Oh, like, everyone broadsheet. hates broadsheet. If you're in the broadsheet. industry, fuck broadsheet.
1: Broadsheet can go fuck themselves. And it's, a com- I was, it's a
0: commercial rag that I bite my ass with.
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's so funny because everyone who's not even slightly connected to the hospital industry thinks that Broadsheet's this like
0: yeah. saving
1: grace. And it's like you speak to any chef and they're like, fuck Broadsheet. <laughs> they're yeah. like, I don't want them anywhere near anything that I do. Um, so, like, I just think there's one thing that Australia is missing and that's something that like me and my friend have spoken so much about when we were talking about doing our food show is like we want to build a network for Australia for food because there's so many good individual creators in Australia who do such good stuff with food, food Mm -hmm. stylists, chefs like, like Shane D'Elia. And there's just like every time any Australian chef like goes on anything media related, it's always like a morning show and it's yeah. like and it's just like no one fucking watches that shit like who yeah. the fuck watches morning shows anymore
0: well i can only think of one person and uh, it's sophie 11 but even oh, then
1: that a bell?
0: she's a jewish girl and she oh, sophie 11 i wonder how there's a connection there she's yeah she does food travel and she's mainly a writer So she writes in good food, lonely etc. I don't think anyone has really gone from being in the written word to something based in video. I think that's the real, um, I think that really is the gap right now. And I'd 100% agree. I can't think of a brand that has been able to fill that. And I know that there is an opportunity there because people always talk about food, particularly in Melbourne. Melbourne and Adelaide, cities that are based on locals.
1: Well, I think the reason Melbourne struggled to do that is because we're such a wanky city. Yeah. Like whether we like it or not, like the hospitality industry in Melbourne has become such a wank that we've almost like, oh, we're, like, we're beyond having a, like, you know, that kind of video stuff. Like broadsheet every time they do something video wise, it's super arty and wanky. And like, no one really gives a fuck what they're talking about. Same mm-hmm. with like Urban List and Timeout. Like Timeout's probably one of the better ones because they really fo- they like don't discriminate against like a small fish and chip shop, which like yeah we're talking about this other, like charcoal chicken places. Yeah, like like they're disappearing because of fucking gentrification and 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 all that kind of stuff. Th- this is
0: another thing as well that 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 you've hit on is what these brands do is they make everything commercial. Yeah, you know so. People dis, like you and Tommy did a video on like your local kebab joints. And I think mm. it was you, Tommy, and Ryan yes. uh, selected a kebab joint and you went to it. Now, people can poo poo that, but don't we all every now and then just love a good kebab? Like, what's yeah. so wrong with every now and then just having a kebab? You don't have to have the finest, most luxurious thing for a, for a meal. And I, yeah, that, but, that is the thing that's, yeah. cha- I think Instagram's really done that.
1: Well, Instagram has been a very, it's been very detrimental to the hospitality industry, but yes. also it's like, it's a hard one because a lot of, a lot of well, cafes, for instance, they rely like so heavily on Instagram for business. Yeah? And there's like so many like Instagram agencies taking advantage of, of that spot in the market where like, you know, like oh, there was an agency, I, I won't name names, but like there's an agency that I worked with who was charging cafes ridiculous amounts of money to to like run their socials and it's like if you know anything about the hospitality industry you know that people can't afford they can't afford that more than ever now and it's funny because people can't you know foot traffic isn't a thing anymore like foot traffic Mm -hmm. just doesn't exist at the moment so what's the best way to reach people on that social media so you've found that like COVID has been such an interesting time for the hospitality industry in terms of what, what we're talking about now is this whole like Instagram and like, you know, blogs and stuff like that, because this is the only way that they can really reach people. Mm. And a lot of cafes have realized and a lot of cafes and establishments and restaurants have realized that the only way that they're ever going to like keep running in this time is for them to take that responsibility on themselves, which has brought out some amazing personalities in, in Melbourne's hospitality industry. Cause they're not relying on broadsheet. They're not relying on, on, on these fucking commercialized plate, like blogs and stuff mm. to like say, yeah, yay or nay to a place. Yeah. And that's why like, you know, the kebab shop that me and Tommy went to, it's like, why aren't those people? Why aren't those smaller businesses who are fucking struggling during this time? Why aren't they getting, why aren't they being shined, you know, a spotlight on because uh, the cafe who's that sits 150 people and does wanky fucking French toast, they're going to be fine. Like at the end of the day, the person who owns that was probably doing really well. Whereas like there's one dude in a fucking kebab shop makes a sick kebab. But because of this whole like time that we're in, they're probably going to fall behind and they're going to be left behind so mm. there is such an interesting dynamic in melbourne where we're very spoilt with the food that we have and i think it's time that we start to realize that it's all good and there's not there's no there's not a hierarchy yeah. like we're we're so spoilt for good food that we've become spoilt and wanky in regards mm. to the food that we eat and we consume because it's like Instagramable and, and stuff like that.
0: There's de- there's definitely an opportunity there. I'm excited to see what you come up with because I mm. feel like um I've really gotten into basketball sports recently. I mm. I, I think that what they did um in terms of uh, sport, uh, I think the main thing is often with these brands and Vice used to do this really well, but they're sort of um, softened on this. Mm. Is just intertwining, maybe it's like a a little shake of comedy, a little shake of um or a lack of political correctness. And that could be as simple as just swearing, just swearing. Yeah, yeah. Like, which is not, a you know, people think that's not a commercially viable thing, but like the other day I watched a basketball sports series where they call it the draft or no, it was called the oh, practice day or some shit. And it was literally just a day where they did like ridiculous races and events amongst all the basketball sports staff. And mm. it was like host, it was run sponsored by kettle one. They're swearing, they're doing fucking um, sack races, egg races, like throw a football, all this dumb shit. And it's just so funny and fun. You know what I mean? It's
1: it's funny that like these old... um, And brands want that, by the way. Yeah, they do because like... it's, it's an old standard that we abide by this whole like no swearing political correctness it's like it's an old standard it's like that's why places like vice did so well in the early days yeah. because they were pushing that button like they've they've almost gone too far into it that they're now like so politically correct that they like th- their audience they can't piss them off anymore yeah so it's well like- the,
0: that that's a real problem because i think um what happened with a lot of those brands is that And the ones that have done really well, like Complex, Barstool, Mm. the ones that have weathered that basically is because on a finance side, they didn't go raise lots of venture capital. And Mm. the problem with when you raise a lot of venture capital and you don't sort of start off as a grassroots sort of um, Mm. uh, business that then gets financing. So, you test Mm. your product and you prove it that you can be profitable then you end up being in the situation where you've got people who are just funneling you massive amounts of money and you just have to grow, grow, grow. Same thing happened to BuzzFeed. It's why BuzzFeed just left Australia is because they've been massively venture funded and you can't I don't think it works in media. I think in in Mm. media you've got to you can't the money impacts your editorial voice. I think you need to get local uh, angel investors or other investors to get behind it as you can prove it out um, I think
1: I think you find that with all of like the smaller businesses as well is like, yeah. you know I, And this this goes for like people who are in like my line of work and it's like And it's like this whole, you know, the whole thing about selling out in a way is like, you know a lot of people the younger guys that I work with are always like, oh you know, I want to do this or I want to do that. I'm like, well, you have to start doing that now. Don't wait for anyone to give you, like, no one's going to give you anything. And when mm-hmm. they do, they're going to expect you to do it their way. And the only way for you to stop that is to do it your way right now. Mm-hmm. And that's how like someone like complex, is like, like think about hot ones as a show,
0: like oh, amazing,
1: but like that 10 years ago, if, if, if you had approached someone and gone, we've got this show where we're going to give like the hottest pepper in the world to the biggest celebrities on the planet. They're like, fuck no, it's a PR nightmare. We're yeah. not going to give you money for that. So what like Sean Evans and and they did was basically go, okay, well let's just start off with like grassroots, like hip hop yeah, and like interview and guys and, like, up. and build our way up. And like, that's exactly what you were talking about before is just like slow, inclined to be like to the point where people are just giving you money to do what you want to do. It's yeah. not like, here's money and we've got control over this. It's Yeah, yeah it's, it's very interesting. So-
0: Dan, Dan Monheit, who runs probably the biggest independent agency here in Australia, once said to me on a podcast and has said it regularly mm. off-air off that everything in media is a remix. If, yep. He said the best ideas in media are ones where you take X and Y, smash it together and see what comes out of it. Mm. And he actually... Hot Ones was, I think he did this talk at South by Southwest and I think Hot Ones was one of the examples he used. I may be wrong, but um, yeah. he, he, he can give me numerous examples around that and I think that is the case and you've just got to pepper two different things that sort of just go together and it comes up with something new. Otherwise, you're just copying people and it gets well, exactly. quite boring.
1: What's funny because if you look at Hot Ones, it's like it's two very niche subcultures yeah. It was like the chili heads and like the OG hip hop like scene. sneaker heads as well. Yeah. Sneaker heads. And it was like, how do, it's like, if, if you'd pitch that to anyone without just going ahead and doing it, people would have been like, what, <laughs> wait, what do you want to do? <laughs> what do you want to do? You want to eat chicken wings with like sneaker heads and, and, and rappers. It was just, it's like, those are the ideas that really like take off. So, so mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So so in between um, the, this idea of building this uh, this food brand, you're obviously doing a lot of work as a creator. Um, mm. I mentioned before at the start in your bio, filmmaker, photographer, director. Um, so you're doing a, a, a lot of work with Baked at the moment as things mm. slowly open up. I think before that, as I yeah. said, I would notice how many restaurants you do work with. Subtle, I think you've done some work with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me what sort of your creative process in your mind when it comes to a project, how, how do you think about it?
1: it I mean, it, cause I'm doing so, such a variety of things all the time. Like my stuff varies from like doing uh, like food shoots and doing like shooting a full menu. Yeah. Um, and something like that is really interesting because I have to shift my mindset over to more of like a, like be more of a foodie and think less about the technical side of things. So like, for instance, I think next week I'm shooting an Italian restaurant. Um, and I don't want to just shoot that Italian restaurant. Like every Italian restaurants ever been shot with like a glass of red wine in the background and red tablecloths And like, you know, there's like, how do I approach it differently to, to how the rest of the industry is approaching that cuisine. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I, for me, it starts to it starts with me like thinking about light and and how I'm gonna like uh, like shoot specific types of food. So my first thing is like, can you send me a menu?
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I start to look through the menu and be like, okay, it'd be really cool to shoot this like this and that like that. Like for instance, the the I'm shooting, they do like um like the I don't know what it's called, but they're like little meat skewers, like chicken oh, yeah. and chicken and lamb, and like basically they they salt the fuck out of it. And they put it over like a charcoal, this like custom made charcoal grill. Um, and they taste so good. So I'm like, well, I love the idea of like them salting the fuck out of it. So how do I show that in a photo? And the best way to do that is like shoot up against the black wall and shine light through with someone holding two sticks up. And then, so I, I base, I base the shoot around ideas that I have and certain scenes that like I want to capture. Yeah. Um, and that applies to kind of everything else as well it's when i 'm like approaching a directing a video for bait um, I need to hit a song first and I sit and listen to the song like six or seven times and and i'm just trying to like like trying to embody a, like a vibe to it and then try yeah. and connect that to to a visual
0: so so basically i what I sense is you're trying to structurally get some sort of um, closed line to hang everything upon, and mm-hmm. you're looking for a key element and there's obviously things in certain industries or types of shoots that, are, that stand out more than most, i.e. Mm. Uh, a menu or, yeah. ty- or type of dish or yeah. um, the actual song itself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: It, it's, it's, it's really about like taking the contents of whatever you're shooting and really making that the focus because it's like if, you, like if I go into a restaurant and I shoot the food and all I do is like put it all on the table and take a, a flat lay shot. It's like, I'm not really telling a story. I'm not really like, I'm not, I'm not doing the food justice. Mm. And it's the same thing for music is if like, I can't really understand the song and really gain a, an understanding of the lyrics and all of that. I can't do anything with that. So my thing is like really, it's the same thing. Like the the menu and the song are the same thing in Mm. a sense, you know, it's the meats of everything.
0: I'm thinking, um, generally about uh what's well actually do you prefer film or do you prefer uh like photography do you have any like are you a 60 40 one way or the other
1: i'm like 50 50 straight down the middle i love both i can't i can't pick like because when i shoot food like that like I, i think about it in the terms of like when i shoot food i genuinely feel happy and mm. then when I, when I shoot film, I genuinely feel happy. So I don't want to, I don't want to place any more emphasis on either because I enjoy doing both and I want to continue doing both for as long as I can. So, mm.
0: okay. Yeah. And how to like, it's, I guess it's interesting. You built a brand now today. How did, how were you initially finding your clients? That's a good question. I don't know. It's just, they just, it's, it was very natural. Like just gravitated. Well, the first, the
1: first food thing I ever shot was a friend. So my a friend of our, a really close family friend of ours opened up a cafe called Oh Hey, like I'm sure you, you would have seen some of the photos and i was like always there at the kind of like start of last year. Uh-huh. Um, they were opening up a cafe. They had a really like, like clear aesthetic to the, to the cafe. Uh-huh. And my biggest thing was like, I was like, oh, I've wanted to shoot food for so long. And I kind of know what I'd do for these guys. So I just asked my dad's mate and I was like, let me shoot the menu for free the first time. Like, mm-hmm. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. But if you do like it, let me continue shooting for you. And he's like, yeah, come in, like come in and shoot the menu. And I shot it. And literally within a week I had like two agencies hit me up and like all of these clients just kind of like, we want you to shoot food. And I was like, wow. Okay. I was like, I'm, this is the first time I've ever done this. Like, it was insane that, like, I think I just kind of had this this thing in the back of my mind for so long that as soon as I was able to let it out, it was like I'd been doing it for so long. So it was really interesting. Like, I literally went from, like, shooting one cafe to shooting, like, like three cafes a week and, like, shooting for, like, Pullman hotels and, like, Jesus. and shooting entire menus. So it was, like, it was a crazy year of my life. It just kind of, like, shifted me into this, like, world that I've always wanted to be in and all of a sudden I was doing it. That, that's yeah, so. a really
0: good indicator for what, um, what potential appetite there is in this market mm. around uh, grassroots video and food. Mm. So that's, that's very interesting how quick, I'm guessing most of these people would have hit you up over Instagram. You know, you put yeah. out a few shoots, stuff like that.
1: Those people just seeing my stuff, they'd be like, oh, we saw your stuff. But, oh, hey, we want the same. And I was
0: like, I was like, oh, you lo- don't you love that? Yeah. We want the exact same thing. I was
1: like, yeah, but you're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, like what's your cafe? Yeah. Um, it's funny. Cause that's how like, basically when I started shooting food and, and one of my things was, is I had such respect for, for chefs and cooks. Like the kitchen was when I walked into a cafe, like front of house, cool. Owners cool. The first people I ever spoke to on a shoot, when I went into a cafe to shoot, I spoke to the chef. Mm. It was like my first thing. I was like, what do you want this food to look like? Mm. Because whatever you put on the plate, that's what it's going to look like. I can't make it look like if it looks like shit on the plate, I can't make it look any better. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it was a struggle like going into cafes because you could tell that the kitchen just didn't give a fuck what they were putting out. Yeah. And and then I'd get, com- I'd get complaints from the client. I'd be like, there's not, there's like nothing I can do. Like that's coming, that's coming from your kitchen exactly like i'm gonna make it look cool with like light but if it looks like shit it looks like shit i can't like i yeah. can't change that, that so, that's like
0: that's an age-old thing in the marketing business is people think that um something is poorly marketed but in actual fact a lot of the times it's just a poor thing is marketed
1: it, exactly and it's Uh, one of the chefs that I work with, I did consulting work with him. We'd we'd go into cafes and we'd kind of help them like rebrand and redo their menu. And one of the biggest things we always found was like all of these owners, all these cafe owners and all these like restaurant owners thought there was like a one-stop shop fix for everything. It was like, Oh, we'll get good photos and, and a new menu. I was like, yeah, but if your staff doesn't care about the menu and you don't care about the food and you don't care about the food that's being shot, there's nothing we can do. Like, People will, people will see that even in the nicest photo. They can tell that you don't give a fuck. It's just shallow. So it, it really comes from like if you're running a business, it needs to be from the top to the bottom that everyone is on the same page and they are passionate about making a coffee. They're passionate about fucking cleaning a table. Like mm. that, is, that is what it takes to, to draw people in to a cafe or restaurant.
0: So, what, what's, um, what's in your kit bag? My camera, my camera, camera bag.
1: bag. I have uh, I have an EOSR, Canon EOSR, R, okay. um, which I shoot. I think well, I shoot one hundred percent of my stills on now. I used to shoot on a Five D Mark Three, um, and then I have uh, a couple of lenses. I got like a thirty-five mil, which I love, fifty mil, one point four. What else do I have?
0: Do you do you prefer like prime lenses over? Um- like something with a quite a high range?
1: It really depends. Like I I love shooting, like my 35 almost never leaves my camera. Like I love my 35 millimeter. It's so fucking good. Like it's the Sigma Art 35 1.4. There's just nothing wrong with that lens. It like works for everything. But like on my C200, on my cinema camera, like for most stuff, I've got the 24 to 105 because I'm shooting a lot of new stuff and it requires me to like, just be able to just run and go. Mm. Um, But obviously when I do have the time to like, you know, use different glass, like when I shoot a lot of interviews, I'll shoot on like my 70 to 200. That's really fun because it's such a nice lens. Um, But last night we were on a music video. We used my C200, but we had like Zeiss CP2 cinema glass um, and filters and stuff like that. So I like, if I'm shooting stills, it's predominantly on my, my 35 millimeter. Um, and that's my, that's pretty much in my bag constantly. I also have like a little Fuji point and shoot. Okay. That's like a lot of my, like that's for fun.
0: Like a film camera.
1: I'll get it. Give me one sec. I'll be back in one moment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm back. So, right. there's like two cameras. So, there's like, I've always technically got like three cameras on me at all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I've got my EOS R, which is this bad boy. Yep. And I was speaking 35. to
0: Josh about this because um, we're getting a Sony A7.
1: Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> buy, buy, buy this, buy the EOS R. Okay, why? <laughs> I, I just think, first of all, color the, can- the color science on a Canon is so much better. Yeah, because
0: just, I, I think everyone would agree the, the color um, on the Canon lenses are better.
1: Oh, just, but even like the sensor, like it was so funny. Cause this, this camera is like the most hated camera on the internet. Like everyone mm-hmm. was like, Oh, it sucks because it doesn't shoot. It crops in on a 4k image. And I was like, yeah, but like, who gives a fuck? Like, it, it, like it, it actually worked. Like I went through my foot. So I had an a seven S Mark two.
0: Okay.
1: And then I had a GH5. Yeah. And then I had a Fuji X-T3. Jesus. And then I sold that and I bought this. And this has fit into my workflow like immediately. Like, I don't know why I had such reservations against this camera because when I bought it, especially being a B camera to my C200, um, which is also Canon, it's become this whole thing where it's like, it's not about what the best camera is. It's what the best camera is for you as a, as a creator. And even though this is an Epic stills camera, it's mirrorless. It does punch in on a 4k image, but the 4k image is beautiful. It shoots 1080 full frame, which is epic. Cause like most shit that goes on YouTube and, and Instagram, it's like 4k is just, it's fucking overkill. Like it, yeah. it, it always has been. It always will be. Um,
0: yeah, you need the um, internet speed to even deal with it.
1: Exactly. So the 4K on this is great. I usually shoot 1080 if I'm shooting video on the EOS R. But yeah, man, this is like my favorite fucking camera. And it just like the second I bought it, I was like, oh, I've made the right choice. I don't know why I wasted my time with all of these <laughs> other <laughs> all these other cameras.
0: The C200, um, yeah. this is another debate Josh and I have had around... Um, camera rigs because we don't have a proper stills camera so that's one thing we build a smaller rig with like a, mm. an eosr or yeah. um, a sony a7 um, what because the, the c200 is starting to change quite a bit the, the, what did they re- release recently it was a c500 C
1: mark 2 and the c300 mark 3
0: that's it mm. what, what are your thoughts around the Canon? at the moment do you think that if you were to upgrade that you would look at uh, a different series of C series or would you upgrade if they brought out a new a new C200 or would you look at a red what's, what's sort of your thought process around that
1: yeah for me it's become more of a like if i'm going to upgrade a camera i probably will stick with canon mm. um, because because of the first glass of all, well, the glass as well. The glass Canon um, EF mounts are so widely available, and like even though this is an RF mount lens, like that uses the new RF like sensor. The the adapter that Canon sells is more than good. Like it's
0: yeah, you can just use it. That's,
1: you could just use it. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't get in the way at all. Whereas like and same with like the the C two hundred obviously has an EF mount, which is not the greatest thing, but there are a couple of cinema lenses that I can use on that. You can swap out the mount. It's a bit of a head fuck though. Um, but if we're talking about like upgrading, I basically had this conversation with someone yesterday that if I'm going to upgrade, it'll probably be like mid next year and I would probably go to the C500 Mark II because mm. it's a full frame sensor. It shoots 5.9 K. It does raw. It basically does everything I need on either side of my, my work spectrum. It does the high end, like cinematic production yeah. stuff. And also can shoot like the stuff that my C200 should. That's the best part about the C200. Mm-hmm. It's like again, it was that camera that came out, and everyone's like, uh the specs fucking suck, and <laughs> you can't shoot four two two four K." And I'm just like, "Like, what is everyone fucking complaining about?" Like for me, I, like if I show you the stuff that I shot, I'm like today, and I show you the stuff I shoot tomorrow, you're like, "Oh, that's the same camera," and you're like, it, "It's, it's." you just need to find the camera that works for you. And mm. some people get caught up in the specs and end up getting a camera that has the best specs, but it's not necessarily the right camera for them.
0: Yeah. It's, it's massive, massive overkill in a lot of cases. Like mm. it's, it's funny cause you know, if you think about the, the groups of cameras, you've got sort of those mirrorless uh, cinematic cameras that can be built into rigs. You've got mm. probably this Canon, C200 to 500 series are sort of in the middle and then you've got like your Reds and your Arri's, which is yeah. sort of comparable. And I would agree with that. I think that Canon is probably the only one that can tip either way.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. The like, C series. But there's been a, been a kind of a stigma attached to Canon that they can't really do the cinematic mm. side of stuff because of Red and because of Ari. Like, don't get me wrong. I love shooting on Red and I love shooting on Ari, but I'd never own one.
0: It's, yeah, it's, you, you still got to spend fifty grand to buy a rig, so it only exactly. really makes sense if, um, if you're working in the cinema industry and you're getting That's paid it. a ridiculous amount of money for a shoot. Otherwise, it doesn't make much sense.
1: Like, if you want a rent, just rent one for the day. Like, yeah,
0: they're cheap to rent. they're know, not too- that
1: they're not that expensive. So, yeah. so yeah, and then like, so I like I personally would stick with Canon because I love their color science and they just work. That's the biggest thing. They're not, they're reliable. They're a reliable system. Mm. Um, but like at one point I did think about moving completely over to Fuji. Cause I have, I have the Fuji X100F, which is like a little film emulation camera that like, it's just not oh, like wow. a point and shoot. Like it's, this is completely digital, but it, wow. I basically shoot this like I would shoot film. Like I shoot JPEGs. I bake the look into the actual image and then, I just transfer over to my phone. Like the SD card never comes out of this camera. So, yeah. yeah. So there's like, it took me a very long time to find the cameras that worked for me. Mm. And I finally gotten to a point in my like camera journey that I'm like, I'm content for the next like couple of years. Like I don't need anything more. Like if I'm, if anything, I'm just going to like upgrade the cameras that I have. I don't get excited by new specs anymore because I understand my work and I understand what I need to get that work done. Mm. So it's like, I was always calling, this like, Oh, I want to get a red. I was like, no, I don't. (laughs) I don't want to spend 50 K on a camera that I can only shoot like jobs that are actually paying me to use that camera. Whereas a C200, I can use it on, anything i want because i've I've paid it off already it wasn't it wasn't that much money so it's it's definitely like it's it's an interesting conversation and
0: it sounds like you're in quite a mature place you've got your type of work that you really enjoy looking uh working on you got your type of uh equipment that you really like working on so now it's just a matter of really growing that and doing more of what you like
1: exactly and it's just iterations of the work that I do and the gear that I use. And it's, and, and I try to instill, instill that in like a lot of younger guys who I work with. It's mm. like, they're always like, Oh, what camera should I get next? I'm like, what camera oh, do you dude. have now? <laughs> what camera do you have now?
0: Uh, I've interviewed a lot of young photographers. Um, uh, like, uh, what is it? Lemon North borders. Yeah. South era, those younger guys who are probably 21, yeah. 22, Hayden Pedersen, and uh, that has to be the default procrastination question. What it, care, does, it is. What, like, who cares? Y- you'll buy one, you realize either you've wasted money or you haven't, and then you've learned, you know, a valuable lesson that this is not the thing for you, and then you'll find next yeah, one. Like, just exactly. get into it.
1: What, the biggest thing, like, anyone, people who are, like, getting into photography, like, really early stages, like, what camera do I buy? I was like, what phone do you have? Mm. And everyone's like, oh, I've got an iPhone 8 or iPhone 11 Pro Max. And I was like, use that. Just go. I was that. like, oh, and, I'll, and I'll show people shit that because I've I just moved to, like, I've just got an iPhone now. Um, but I had the Pixel uh, XL before this, 3XL. And I would take photos on that phone and people thought it was shot on my Canon. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because it's not about the camera. It's about how you use the tools that you've got. Yeah. So I'm like, for most people, like especially for food photography, like oh, if I oh, like I'll sh- I'll send you these two photos, and I'll try and get you to pick which ones my Canon and which ones my my phone. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell because it doesn't matter because everything that w- went into taking into making the photo what it was, it's it wasn't about what camera I was using. It was the lighting. It was the, the styling. It was it was how I shot the photo. So it's so often that they're like, oh, I want to. I want to buy a camera and I've only got $600. I was like, but you have a thousand dollar phone, but I can use that.
0: Yeah. And the, you know, there's another good example for me, from me personally. I said for years that I really wanted to get into Bonzo and it took my, eventually my mum finally she did. bought. Yeah. My mum my <laughs> bought me one and I was like, yeah. fuck like, cause I used to make up excuses like, Oh, the balcony doesn't get enough sunlight. I don't have the right equipment, blah, 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 blah. And then, when my mum bought one, it was sort of like a forcing function. I had to get the shit and to do the things to keep it alive and not yeah. kill it. And you just go from there and then you just buy more stuff and you find out more things that you really, really like.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's just, it's all excuses. We just make excuses for why we
0: can't do things. Exactly. Yeah. Look, I could ask you a lot more things, but I know you've got something on it, one, and I wanted to ask yeah. you um, some rapid fire questions. So go go for it finish things off uh what is your morning and evening routine look like
1: well so i wake up at like about like 8 30 um at the moment like i've got like i'm getting into a routine of waking up a little bit early um make myself a coffee have some brekkie get through some emails and then depending on the day i'll kind of just like either do fuck all (laughs) or i'll just be like straight into work mode and either be just emailing you know, trying to get shoots sorted and stuff like mm. that. Um, end of the day, I like to just like chill out. I love to cook. So I'm always like cooking something up in the kitchen. Um, it, it could be literally anything. So mm. whatever I've got in the fridge. Um, and then I'm a night owl. So I don't usually go to bed till about midnight, 1, 1 a.m. Um,
0: so. Same. I don't think I, I ever really sleep until at least 12.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I've been trying. I've been trying different things to help me get to bed a little bit earlier. Like I've been wearing like blue light glasses for when I'm using my computer. I'm trying to do that as often as I can. I um, also controversial. Um, I take CBD oil. I don't know if you want to involve yeah. that. Put this in the podcast. Um,
0: <laughs> I'd love like, some CBD oil.
1: Man, it's like I don't know why it's fucking illegal, but like it helps me fall asleep. Like it does wonders for me because it's not a psychoactive in in any sense. Mm. But it really helps me like. Slow down and like I assume like when I take it, I take it about an hour before I go to bed, just like a couple of drops, and then I'm kind of like I don't want to look at my phone. I actually want to sleep, mm. and my sleep is uninterrupted. It's so fucking good, and I've never felt fucking better after like, after taking some of that. And I'm,
0: yeah, you know, that that, that stuff is up. um yeah. is fascinating. What it what it does to your system and and relaxing. Mm. I've um learned a lot about that recently, and also like vitamin D. I didn't realize that vitamin D was actually uh a hormone and actually really, really helps with your sleep patterns.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting to when you look into stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So, look yeah. into it. <laughs>
1: Lean into it.
0: <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what have you been watching? Movie, podcasts, doco, anything during this whole uh, lockdown period?
1: Uh, I'll be quick at this. Uh, I finished watching normal people. Normal okay. people was absolutely brilliant. Um, I somehow ended up, finishing and watching colony the, mm-hmm. the like sci-fi tv show on netflix um curb your enthusiasm i'm just yep. I'm all over that it's one of the best shows i mean i just started watching avenue five um okay. which is the hbo series of um like it's like a cruise a space cruise
0: uh-huh oh no, so, no, 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 no
1: yeah it's so funny like i just started watching it and i was like why did i why did it take me so long to watch this <laughs> um, so yeah so that's what and then Podcast, I'm always listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm always checking in on the Daily Talk show. Like I don't watch every – I'm one of those people like I don't watch every single episode because it's like it's just too much. <laughs> it's too much.
0: I'm a snippets guy.
1: Yeah. I watch the snippets. I watch George Georgie Boy's Hump Day Replay. Um, yeah. <sighs> and then what are, like other podcasts, not many other podcasts at the moment. I feel like I'm just way too busy and I used to listen to a lot more podcasts when I had like commute into work and mm. back. I find that when I've got my own time, I spend it doing other things. Um, but yeah, the Joe Rogan podcast, Tiger Belly, and uh, the Daily Talk
0: Show. Oh, Tiger Belly with, um, oh shit, what's that guy's name? Bobby, Bobby we, Lee. Bobby Lee. He's so also, fucking funny. He,
1: he's got the other podcast, Bad Friends, with Andrew Santino.
0: Yeah, and that's that a newer is, one.
1: That's brilliant. That is yeah. like so fucking good. So yeah, that's, and then I watch a bunch of YouTube. So
0: um, um, last question for you. Yep. During this whole period, what has mm-hmm. been the best purchase? I and mean, you could have done it beforehand or during it, but the best purchase under $200 that sort of entertained you or helped you at the moment?
1: Oh, best
0: purchase?
1: Mm. I've been buying a lot of shit, Jordan. <laughs> my Amazon card has been pretty full. <laughs> um, what? I think it actually, I bought like an audio interface from my laptop. Oh, yeah? Um. No, that's no. That well, like a
0: device in. for plugging in uh, an audio. Like a micro
1: in. Well, the best the thing is because I play a lot of music, so I play a lot. Like I play guitar like pretty much every day, mm. and I haven't I have a guitar amp, but I hate fucking plugging it in and and so I bought an audio interface. It allows me to like plug a microphone and plug my guitar in mm-hmm. and do record and record into like GarageBand and stuff like that, and I can like change effects and amps and record stuff and and, like, record ideas that I have and stuff like that. So that's probably been the most fun because it just allows me to, like, have have that extra level of, like, creativity. Um, Also, actually, no, that's not it. I bought an iPad Pro. I bought the iPad Pro uh, 12.9-inch.
0: Okay. Yeah. Give me your quick read on that because I need to get rid of this MacBook Air, get a better desktop unit, and then something smaller. So I'm wondering, do I build a streaming PC, buy a Mac, and then go with an iPad? Um, what is it? An iPad Pro. iPad Pro. Well, Um, uh,
1: it's, uh, it's been the absolute greatest thing for me because so I'm on my laptop right now, and yep. I'm in my, I'm in my dining room. But usually my laptop does not leave its side. It like sits next to like a 32 inch monitor. It's pretty much docked the whole time. So it's basically like my desktop. And what's um, your laptop? It, this is a 15 inch MacBook Pro from like 2000 and. Uh, 2017, so late 2017 MacBook Pro, 15-inch, like yeah. fully specced out. So it does the job for me, like for most stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so this just stays at home, stays docked and then when I'm going out for meetings and I'm doing production meetings with Baked or I'm just like, even editing photos on the go, the iPad Pro has been like the best thing product, uh, productivity-wise because it just allows me to like get a little bit more hands-on with the work when I'm not at home and I also just hate lugging around a fifteen inch MacBook. It's like yeah. such a pain in the ass. So yeah. I would if I was you, I'd go desktop and get something like the iPad Pro with like a keyboard. And mm. then you can get emails done. You can edit photos. You can like I was watching four K footage on my iPad yesterday. Yeah. And like editing it as well. Like it's a fucking machine, man.
0: Yeah, I really need to get that sorted because I've had issues with these yeah. MacBook Airs are dog shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> absolute <laughs> dog shit. Um <laughs> All right, well, look, um, Hayden, where can people find you on social?
1: Uh, Instagram. Instagram's the uh, the main place that I post everything and I share my work. Yep. Um, so just Hayden Dibb, uh on Instagram. Um, I'm sure you'll leave it in the show notes because yeah. no one ever remembers to like <laughs> what the Instagram is. But, um, yeah, that's I, that's pretty much the only place. If anyone wants to hit me up or ask me any questions about gear and work or anything, that's like that's the best place to
0: find me. Yeah, we'll have it all there. But um, Aiden, thanks for joining, Habibi.
1: Thank you. I I feel like we didn't have enough ethnic banter, but I'm glad we didn't get into it at the
0: moment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening in to this episode. If you like it, do leave us a written review on your podcast app, as it helps us continue going on a weekly basis and we do love reading those reviews as well. Uh, if you want the show notes, you can find that below or with our previous guests at naral.com slash podcast. That's N-A-U-R-A-L-L-E dot com slash podcast. To watch the full video, search Uncommon Show on YouTube and to keep up to date with behind the scenes and clips for the show, you can find us at uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening.